Hello, everyone. Patriot Underground here. Now, before we begin the show tonight, I wanted to introduce the audience to an incredible opportunity to secure your financial future. Folks who follow my channel know that I only promote what I believe in, and so I'm very selective about which businesses I choose to partner with. So with that said, I have been waiting on an opportunity like the one I'm about to share with you for a long time now, and I'm very excited that it's finally arrived because I do believe the moment has come for everybody out there to reevaluate the allocation of their financial resources on every level, and in particular, when it comes to your retirement and your savings. Folks, the banking crisis has begun, and it's only going to intensify as the old fiat system continues to fundamentally collapse. What we've seen happen with Silicon Valley Bank, with Credit Suisse, with Wells Fargo, and the rest of the big Wall Street banks is but a precursor to the full-blown collapse of the stock market, which is where most people's IRAs and 401ks and savings are tied up. Now, to be clear, folks, I myself am not a financial advisor, but the team that I am working with at this company has some of the best in the business. And that's why I'm trying to steer folks their way. Now, you've heard our beloved President Trump say over and over and over that the system is rigged and he's 100% over the target. He's warning all of us about what's coming. So each of us who are awake need to do our part and take the necessary steps to stay ahead of the financial storm that has already begun. Time is truly of the essence. So if you have concerns about your portfolio, I don't want you to lose what you've worked so hard to earn and achieve. And this is why I recommend you go to patriotundergroundgold.com. Just click the link in the description and my team is going to assist you in what will undoubtedly be the most important financial decision that you've ever made. Don't wait, folks. Seize the opportunity. PatriotUndergroundGold.com today. All right, everyone. Enjoy the show. Patriot out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Patriot Underground. Today is August 2nd, 2023. Thank you so much for joining me, folks, to discover the truth beneath the surface. As always, I really do appreciate everybody out there taking the time to listen. So today, it's my pleasure to welcome back SG Anon to the show. This is a gentleman who needs no introduction. Since he arrived on the scene last summer, he's been an absolute lightning rod in the Patriot movement. He's amassed a huge following that's only continuing to grow as he provides top-notch analysis and intel to help all of us navigate through this very difficult storm that's increasingly intensifying. So today, we're going to talk about the various different theaters in the war. We're going to keep it relatively brief uh, in relation to our previous discussions. But SG, it is my honor to have you back on the show, my friend. How you been doing? My friend, I appreciate you having me back. And thank you very much for your patience putting this together. All things considered, I'd say that I'm doing pretty well. All right. Well, it's great to have you back. And I'm excited to kick off this conversation. You know, I thought a good place to begin would be to get your take on the latest events stemming from the congressional investigation into the Biden crime family and the bombshell testimony that Mr. Archer provided yesterday against Hunter Biden. And obviously, we saw that the DOJ was attempting to jail this individual to prevent him from testifying. Of course, they were unsuccessful. And he ended up revealing quite a bit of evidence that directly implicates the big guy himself. And meanwhile, we have the latest set of indictments against Trump, including conspiracy to defraud the United States, 
and obstruction of an official proceeding because he dared to question the results of the stolen 2020 election. And I thought it was very interesting that Trump's attorney, uh, John Laurel, I believe his name is, came on Fox last night and he pointed out, quote, in 2020, Mr. Trump's campaign had a very difficult time presenting evidence. We now have the ability to issue our own subpoenas. We will relitigate, <clears throat> excuse me, every single issue in the 2020 election in the context of this litigation. It gives President Trump an opportunity that he has never had before, which is to have subpoena power, end quote. So that raises the question of whether the boomerang that we have long since expected is finally coming around, which I do believe to be the case. But there's also no escaping the seriousness of these charges. And my understanding is that they carry the death penalty, not that I think Trump is in any real danger at all, but I mentioned that for the purpose of framing the discussion. So why don't we start there? What's your take on what Archer laid out in court and how this implicates fake Biden in a variety of different crimes? And what's your view on the latest Trump indictments? Well, you know, you sort of highlighted exactly what I think my take is and what a lot of people's takes are if they're understanding irregular warfare and espionage tactics. We have a situation now where we have, um, through pressure, through disclosure, through sort of this overarching information explosion, we've exerted pressure now such to the point that the radical left Democrats, the Marxists, the communists, um, the Kabbalists, really, at the end of the day, the Luciferian arms of control, are really playing for keeps at this point because they understand the gravity of the game. And one of the things that that does is it highlights out to everyone else that's witnessing this just how corrupt, just how stacked the deck really is, not just against President Trump, but against the entire American we the people. Um, we're witnessing a rogue third world Manchurian administration indicting um, its leading political opponent and attempting to, as you highlighted with the death penalty, attempting to permanently remove that individual from influence and narrative control going forward. Um, they're very much making Trump into a martyr. Uh, we're starting to see things coming into the narrative space, even from the centrists and the independents that are discussing how this is not a prosecution, it's a persecution. Um, Devin Archer came out in the congressional testimony, right, highlighted that Joe Biden himself was on more than 20 phone calls with um, business executives and different governmental actors and uh, pertinent parties when we're talking about these business dealings that occurred uh, with his son, Hunter, and with the money laundering in and out of Ukraine. Um, we know that, you know, the CIA, Barack Obama, Hillary and Biden in or excuse me, instigated a coup in Ukraine in 2014 and turned Ukraine into really what amounts to a, a no-holds-barred lawless bioweapons playground. And the Ukrainian people have suffered tremendously as a result of this, and they have a lot of the evidence to show what exactly occurred in these meetings and who was there and who was not there and, and the individuals that were aware of them. And Archer's testimony, I think, is a drop in the bucket, but a major drop to show that Joe Biden himself, which any reasoning person um, in this journey to date would have figured out by now, but it's it unequivocally shows that Joe Biden as sitting vice president was selling influence, selling the power and the, the peddling of the U.S. government all around the world to essentially anybody who would buy. Um, mm -hmm. We're talking about Ukrainian oligarchs. We're talking about um, Iranian oligarchs. We're talking about North Korea, Chinese um, espionage assets, right? Look at how many business dealings have come to the forefront just in the last three weeks highlighting Hunter Biden's ties to the Communist Chinese Party. Um, and excuse me, one of the things that no one's really mentioning right now, but I think is very important to acknowledge in these testimonies and what we're hearing about the Biden and the Ukraine and 
and the sort of web of corruption, the nexus of corruption in Eastern Europe that ties back to the American government-based deep state is that Barack Obama was – there was no way that this man was unaware of what was occurring, um, what actions his vice president was taking. And so from where I'm sitting and I think from where a lot of people are sitting, notwithstanding the other Hussein Obama corruption that we already know about – um, it is very, very likely that Hussein Obama was approving of all of this. If not overtly, it was happening implicitly by allowing it to continue to happen. Um, we're witnessing right now the fomentation of World War III. Um, the Biden government sending weapons to Taiwan. The Biden government obviously has been arming Ukraine and essentially propping up Ukraine in a proxy war. And it's it's becoming a non-proxy war anymore. Um, the Russians have been able to sort of destroy or resist a lot of the Ukrainian actual um, personnel capability, equipment, manpower, and clout. Um, and now what we're seeing really is a return on investment that is vanishing before the globalists' eyes. You know, And this ties right back to the Trump issue and what we're talking about. And I love how the web is actually coming together by baiting them out and by forcing them into these indictments. We're setting precedent. We're annihilating privilege. We're annihilating the idea that certain common judicial courtesies should just be extended as a matter of fact. Um, we are we're we're setting the stage to prosecute other individuals in government. Uh, former U.S. executives and everyone down from them in their administrations. And what judge is the Trump um, uh, case being assigned to? It's being assigned to a radical left Obama appointee who had um, sort of a dismal career as an assistant public defender. Um, in other words, someone who is just really a useful idiot in the D.C. circuit there. And this judge has already demonstrated an overt hostility um, to to mercy and over hostility to we the people um, and, and a fair trial, right? A fair judiciary balance. And so um, Trump having that judge and having those highlights and then the connections with the Florida circuit on other cases, the Georgia circuit on other cases, we've got the Southern District of New York now involved in these litigation processes with the former president. Um, this is becoming a, a web that's sort of coalescing. And it's very fascinating that the same judge that we're referring to um, has also been tied in, in ancillary forms or the same circuit, I should say, has been tied to the Jeffrey Epstein locus of control. So we're seeing these forces converge. We're seeing the deep state shadow government that protects its own and that sort of idolizes pedophilia um, and has weaponized control of the U.S. governmental system to include the DOJ, the FBI and others. We're witnessing this highlighted on full display. Now, what's interesting right now is that Trump in this case um, there's broad subpoena power available to the Trump campaign and the Trump uh, legal team as a result of the charges that are being made here. Um, there's a, there's a lot of subpoena power that goes back to everything related to the January 6th unselect committee, right? How about all the audio tapes that were altered or omitted? Um, we can get a hold of those, right? What about the footage? What about the the video footage that emerged of FBI agents planting pipe bombs? Um, these sorts of things are going to come to light, I think, and we're we're witnessing the leverage of of the American justice system. We're sort of doing it by the book, if you will, um, to show all of these things out. I, I personally am very impressed and very excited for the times that we're living in. Yes, it's concerning. Um, yes, the commander in chief is taking a big and bold risk, I think, um, by going out in this fashion and uh, waging the sort of narrative irregular fifth generation war that he and the U.S. military and certain component parts have been doing. Uh, but I think the conclusion at this point is now inevitable. Absolutely. 
Well, I could follow up with a bunch of other questions. I'm going to pivot here because I want to get as much, uh, as many different topics as I can covered in the time that we have. So why don't we talk a little bit about someone we've discussed in the past, Elon Musk, and the rebranding of Twitter to X. Now, this was certainly done with a lot of fanfare and very overt symbols, as we've come to learn, always require some analysis and discussion. And as you know, the Masonic logo appears when the X is mirrored. And obviously, this raises a great deal of questions regarding Elon Musk's allegiance. Is he still aligned with the cabal? Now, I will say that I don't believe that the individual who's appearing publicly is the real Elon Musk. I think I've mentioned that in the past. And so therefore, I view him as very much a part of this ongoing pantomime. But regardless of whoever this individual is posing as Musk, to me, it's undeniable that he's red-pilled vast portions of the public, which is very much contrary, obviously, to the interests of the enemy. So what are your thoughts on this? And how does this or does this impact your analysis of Elon Musk and his role in the Q operation? Um, you know, my analysis on this is still sort of out to the jury, if you will. But I want to caution everyone out there, and, and I give myself this advice also. The other side, the enemy, the deep state, the Luciferian cabal at the very top has weaponized a large amount of our symbology here in the world to meet their own ends. But the symbols themselves don't necessarily carry that dark energy. They can be used, I think, to convey an energetic um, disposition, a, a point of intentionality. And so when we see what happened with the rebranding of Twitter, the X, the mirror of the X, and it clearly shows some sort of inverse uh, VA sort of situation that looks a lot like a Masonic symbol, it's a little too even, I think, to conclude that it's exactly a Masonic symbol. It's very proportional. Um, it's it's sort of very symmetrical in ways that the the Mason symbols have never sort of been. There's always a little bit of um, an obfuscation or um, some sort of um, clouding, if you will, of the symbols as far as their symmetry in the Mason uh, traditions. So I began asking myself, well, if this is a Masonic symbol, then perhaps this is um, some sort of message to a greater whole, right? A message to uh, the individuals in the deep state, right? Maybe letting them know that we have control of what was formerly their playhouse, right? Um, it's very telling to me that the mainstream media and the Associated Press, as soon as Elon rebranded Twitter, all of them in Mockingbird lockstep form began calling for users to leave Twitter. Um, and what is fascinating about this is the symbol that was shown on the Twitter is in Twitter's new logo. Now, if it's mirrored, it also represents zero point energy. And so we know that quantum and a quantum system of exchange, a quantum system of video encoding and um, sharing with the world, um, a quantum digital infrastructure is absolutely coming. We're very far along, I think, in this process right now, just over the last three years with educating humanity and really getting the wildfire ignited on what a new revolutionary technological way of life actually looks like. Elon himself has talked several times about turning Twitter into uh, primarily an AI-powered um, engine online that can be used to stream movies, that can be used to host video, plat uh, video platform content, um, a pay system, a payment processing system that is supposed to be instantaneously transmissible and receptive on both sides of the fence. And so zero point energy, some sort of quantum or Tesla basis would be necessary to do that. Um, I find it also absolutely fascinating that just a few days after the rebrand of Twitter, President 45 took to Truth Social and referred to Asa Hutchinson, the former uh, governor of Arkansas, as ADA. But instead of spelling it A-D-A, it was spelled A-I-D-A. 
um, that I think is, is a message. I think that's a, I think that's an overarching theme to the next phase of these operations, right? Um, getting humanity to understand that um, technological capability and um, advancement and things of this nature are absolutely coming, right? But we have to monitor these things and have control of them with some sort of moral compass, uh, some sort of accountability, I think, with built built within the system itself, or we're going to destroy ourselves. And that's really the discussion with the AI, the artificial intelligence lifeform projects, um, and any of, you know, any number of deep state projects and CIA operations that we could you know, probably spend an entire discussion having on just those topics. So I find it very fascinating. The mainstream media, who we know is the enemy of the people, does not like this rebrand. At mm-hmm. the same time, we're also witnessing, witnessing, excuse me, a clamping down on the Twitter uh, space itself, on the Twitter website, um, its coding, its sourcing, its um, visibility to the rest of the, the internet and the rest of the worldwide digital infrastructure. If you don't have an active account, you're no longer able to see tweets. Um, and we're witnessing a lot of shadow banning continuing. We're still witnessing a lot of Anons out there who were banned in the initial purge back in 2020 and early 2021 who have not yet had their accounts reinstated. I've made That's two right. dozen requests to have an account reinstated on Twitter that I created at the outset of this journey that was banned in 27 hours with no tweets. Um, and it was banned oh, because wow. of the content that was on my profile, you know, referencing Q and the very large picture I have at the top of um, the Truth Social profile, the Lightning Bolt Q, I had that on the Twitter as well before it was permanently suspended. And so these requests are not being honored, which tells me that there is still some amount of shielding or back and forth, some amount of good versus evil espionage warfare type thing going on in the digital space. And Twitter is very important to this. Um, I think it's also fascinating that Elon, like you highlighted, whether he's the real Elon, a fake Elon, whoever he is, the real Elon in submission, um, he's talking about bringing people back to San Francisco or the city itself is going to sort of die um, and highlighting. And here's the thing that highlights to the rest of the American population that the city of San Francisco, a once great beacon of the West and many other American metro icons that have been um, you know, sort of household names and household associations and cultural discussions for a long time are eroding and corroding away before our very eyes. Um, we're we're witnessing the transformation, especially in our urban metro areas of our society, to one of a sort of like a Gotham City from the Batman comics back in the day. Um, rampant corruption, uh, sort of insurmountable filth, if you will, at all levels, um, and we're witnessing that on display right now. So. I know that's a long answer to the Twitter discussion, but I really do think that the information warfare platform Twitter is not any less important as a result of this rebrand. In fact, it may be more so. And I think our tell-all really is in the mainstream media. They will not support anything that that stands to harm the overall Luciferian agenda. They've been playing defense and interference ball for the Luciferians for a very, very long time, far beyond the early 1900s, right? We're talking about an information control going back hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, And so the fact that they are very upset and they are actually calling for users to leave the platform as a result of the rebrand, I think there's more at play here. And I think we really need to watch this play out. Absolutely. Brilliant answer. Okay, well, let's switch gears a little bit here, SG, and let's discuss geopolitical developments, particularly with regard to the Russian offensive in Ukraine, massive staging for which has been underway for some time now, as you know. And I'm hearing they have pretty close to three quarters of a million troops in that area getting ready for this offensive. And I also want to hear your latest intel and analysis on what's transpiring in the Pacific Rim as the surface level tensions between the U.S. and North Korea seem to be accelerating 
And to that list, I should probably also add Taiwan and the lingering question of how reunification with the mainland will be achieved, because there's still a lot of discussion about whether that's going to be or whether it already has been behind the scenes through diplomacy or whether we're going to see some sort of force, some sort of kinetic action with regard to Taiwan. So what do you see happening on these different geopolitical fronts? You know, so let's take Russia and the European conflict first, and then we'll move over to the Pacific theater. Um, these fronts are expanding, and we've known for a while that they were going to because we're dealing with, I think, some generational writings of wrongs. And I've talked about that for a little while. Um, the Baltic states, right, traditionally are Russian by ancestry. Um, the very, very far east of the Polish nation, also Russian by ancestry. The very, very far east of the Finnish nation, uh, same story. The Ukrainian countryside, Russia considers Ukraine a breakaway province. Um, in, in a, akin to the, the state of Texas or the state of Arizona or California leaving the United States um, and then the United States deciding after a period of years to militarily reclaim um, those territories, right? We know the Ukrainian conflict really has its roots at the collapse of the Soviet Union. The George Soros World Economic Forum Western Central Banks in the late 80s and early 90s and really starting from the late 70s and going all the way through the decade of the 80s exerted such pressure and such clout against the Russian economy that in the early 90s, the Russian economy collapsed. And it caused incredible suffering, incredible destruction in a lot of areas in that, uh, or excuse me, in a lot of theaters in that area of the world. And the Russians have not forgotten this. Uh, this event, or these events that we're discussing, only now about 30 years old, right? Um, so when we consider that the Russians are very well aware of who is responsible for destroying the Soviet economy, destroying the Soviet Union, and piecemealing off a number of, um, they were Soviet satellite states, but they're Russian ancestral territories. Um, we can look at this and appreciate that Russia wants their land back. Um, and they want their, they want their honor, I think, returned in some respects. The George Soros movement that collapsed the Soviet economy also made Soros and many other central bankers in the West very, very, very rich. Um, in, in addition to catapulting the United States to the forefront once again in the 20th century, which had happened already a couple of times prior to this preeminent um, world superpower hegemony that is sort of indomitable. Um, and that has been a, a portion of this as well, is getting the rest of the world to sort of trust what's going on in the United States, that it's happening for the good this time, rather than their continued suffering and destruction. So when we consider that the Belarus, the Belarusian countryside has now been fully militarized with Russian PMC Wagner forces as a result of what was clearly a staged counterintelligence operation to move assets and transition assets, as well as roll out a soft martial law within the nation of Russia, where what we're witnessing the Russian FSB serving warrants and apprehending individuals at all level of government and all levels of law enforcement all over the nation as a result of their um, actions in that brief 48 to 72 hour period. Mm -hmm. We've witnessed a relocation of Wagner assets from the Ukrainian central uh, countryside, several hundred kilometers from Kiev to within 120 kilometers, or excuse me, 150 kilometers in the south of the Belarusian countryside. And the Belarusian military is now training jointly with Wagner's forces. Additionally, we have video evidence to show convoys, hundreds of pickup trucks, of small, of small carry vehicles, um, what you would call like a 20-foot box truck, right, U-Haul style vehicles here in the United States, moving manpower and equipment into Belarus and into Ukraine, and they're bearing the official uh, insignia of the Russian army. 
So in addition to the paramilitary force, which is primarily equipped and trained by the Russian army, the Russian army itself is now getting involved in a much more forward active role. Um, and I think that is a prelude to a much greater offensive. Why else would the Russians uh, be moving this amount of manpower to where they're moving at? Why would they be running sorties with nuclear bombers and recon birds all along the west, northwest, and southwest of the nation, as well as on the other side of the nation, um, in and around the Aleutian Islands and the Bering Sea. Uh, this, this reeks of a very um, forward footing, if you will, a very, um, a very active footing for something that is coming. And the Chinese and the Russians have been deepening their military cooperation, their equipment exchange, their naval cooperation, their Air Force cooperation, um, their technological exchange, They've been, and all of these relations that go back to setting forth a true alliance to to go into a, a much larger scale military conflict, we're seeing all of these play out. And so that's why I believe that we're going to see an expansion in the Ukrainian countryside. We will go all of the way to the west of the nation. Um, the Ukrainian country will sort of cease to exist as its own independent entity when this is all over. I think that there's a good case to be made that we'll see something like the Donetsk People's Republic, except in the entire nation, sort of like an olive branch for here's some autonomy, here's some independence, here is some uh, self-governance, but you are still part of the Russian Federation of States. Um, and I believe that is exactly how Taiwan is going to go as well. We just sent $340 million from the Biden administration in weapons to Taiwan. Now, that was the public narrative. Um, I've been tracking aircraft as best I can. I don't think anything's going to be on radar in that area right now. But it is possible that that narrative is absolutely true. And if it is, this, this promulgates a very active threat against President Xi, against the Chinese mainland, because Taiwan is not that far away. Um, we're talking about sort of the equivalent between um, the Floridian Peninsula and just south of the Cuban Islands, right? Um, so this is this is an existential threat, I think, for the Chinese in this area of the world. We're witnessing Japan now getting involved with their sabers, excuse me, rattling with South Korea, tracking Chinese military activity. Um, the Philippine Islands are in negotiations with uh, the U.S. defunct corporate government for a security pact. A security pact has already been um um, reached with Papua New Guinea and the American deep state apparatus. Um, there are different islands, in particular the Marianas Islands, that are um, pushing forth some sort of heightened level of cooperation with China, actually. And so we're witnessing polarity and a picking of sides on both sides of the aisle. And President Trump has been highlighting that North Korea is a friend of his and that Kim Jong-un is uh, sort of back in play with a number of direct references on Truth Social to the situation with North Korea and the Pacific and World War III in general, and also what I believe to be very compelling decodes to show that North Korea and the discussions that were had between the Trump administration and Kim and the individuals that are close to or important to Kim's government operating autonomously, I think we're seeing a lot of those um, discussions playing out now. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about white hat comms and the next presidential election, because I know you're all over it, especially when Donald J. Trump comes out and makes cryptic and yet quite revealing statements to patriots and anons about what's to come. And in the process, he hints about when it's coming. He never actually tells you, but he hints. Now, obviously predicting dates is impossible and therefore it's wasted energy in my view to go that route when having these types of discussions. But there's also no escaping the rising discontent within the Patriot community as the summer drags on 
and we're hearing conflicting information about whether we're going to see the EAS and white hat military intervention this summer versus the possibility that we could be looking at sometime later in 2024 before what Trump calls the pause. And on that note, I'm sure you heard, he made some very interesting statements recently talking about the necessity of a timeout or a pause prior to the next presidential election, essentially at a time when everybody would be in agreement about what needed to be done. I'm sort of paraphrasing, but these these were some of the phrases that he used. And in those comments, he also mentioned that it would be a four-year period before this happens with regard to fake Biden being in office. And I thought that was very interesting. And then there was another interesting comm we also heard from General Flynn. He referenced a black swan or perhaps several black swan events, financial in nature, that could make holding the election impossible. And in his commentary, he made it very clear that he was in agreement that this could indeed happen. Now, I think most of us are in agreement that we're going to see some sort of EAS or some sort of military intervention prior to the next presidential election. But like I indicated, and as I'm sure you know, there's a lot of contention over the prospect of having to wait until next year. So what are your thoughts on the comms that I just mentioned? And how do you see the timeline progressing? Are you inclined to think that overt military intervention will happen in 2023? You know, I think we're already seeing it. But as we as we discuss the United States, the United States is sort of the enigma on the block. Um, this is unprecedented. These are original events that have never occurred, not only in the history of our nation, but really in the history of the world with such fervor, such coordination and such speed. Um, just recently, we saw the Nigerian government actually removed by the Nigerian military and the, the interim Nigerian military government um, essentially addressed to the rest of the world vis-a-vis the message that was sent out across the nation in that area that this is an action that has been taken to ensure the national security and preservation of their way of life and of their nation. Um, They're very well aware of what the central banksters have done to their country. The Minister of Finance was actually given three days ago um, 48 hours to produce um, accounting records and locations for the country's vast storehouses of wealth and resources. And if we cannot adequately account for those, or if no accounting is given, then the former Minister of Finance of the previous government will be executed. Um, so I think we're seeing the military aspect of things already beginning. Now, as it comes back to the United States of America, sort of a delicate, tenuous situation, right? We have financial events that really should occur before we do some sort of military um, step off because we don't want to allow the deep state assets, any remaining um, opponents in this, this um, battle between good and evil. We don't want them to have the liquid capability to um, extricate themselves out of the justice that is to come, right? We have to have sort of a stop on things like commerce or transportation. Uh, There does need to be some sort of brief pause in the standard um, wheels and rhythms of what we would call everyday life, right? Because I think with the entrenchment that we're dealing with and, and a lot of wisdom coming from Julian Assange talking about just how vast it is, I don't think that it's reasonable that we're going to be able to um, throw our net and catch all of the fish, if you will, um, in an overt public way if we still have capability within the financial sector to allow for deep state moves. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my opinion on this, I actually was was very optimistic that we would begin seeing some of these rumblings publicly um, before now or by now. We're now into the first of August. 
Um, the, you know, the New York Times put out in late 2021 that there would be some sort of military tribunal um, system that would be occurring at Guantanamo Bay, that an expansion of Guantanamo Bay was the reason um, for this, or, or actually the, the reason for the expansion was, was these events. And so are we looking at possible disinformation that was fielded to the Times so that they could broadcast that information to all of their cronies and give them the wrong impression? Um, I think that's very possible in a disinformation war. Now, you're talking about Trump and the timeout and moving to moving towards the 2020 or excuse me, the 2024 general election. We still haven't corrected 2020. I really don't think that we're going to arrive. And I think this is just more of a logic driven conclusion at a 2024 presidential election with anything like the form and understanding of elections prior. Um, we do have financial events that have to occur. And what happens when financial events occur? Commerce stops, transportation stops. The ability to maintain order is very threatened um, when you're talking about significant financial downturns where um, those interchanges between the business sector and the governmental sector and the financial sector and the retail sector, commerce in general, and the American we the people are are blown apart right we're witnessing or i think we're, we can expect um some sort of chaos in that area before this is all over and russia has said as much um president 45 is continuing to highlight now um, even in greater rhetoric and bolder form the fact that the 2020 election was rigged and stolen from him that biden is a manchurian candidate he came out in the rally in pennsylvania just recently for the first time and publicly called the installation that we call joe biden who is installed similar to a toilet a manchurian candidate um, and that's a large statement coming from the former president of the united states who would have been the outgoing president when all of these attacks on our system, our nation, our way of life, the subversion and insurrection that occurred. Um, he was in office when those things when those things actually went down. And so the response to those would have been contingent, I think, or dependent on his administration and his relationship with the U.S. military. And we have evidence to show as much with Chris Miller and some of the statements that he made outgoing in 2020 and has made since then. You know, you said that um, timeframes and timetables are really sort of wasted energy. And I believe that that is primarily true uh, because at the end of the day, this is an irregular guerrilla war. This is a very unusual conflict for uh, sort of the hearts and souls of mankind, the destiny of thought, the destiny of our ability to control our nations, right? This affects all of us at the community level. Um, if you've had a county clerk who's been in, um, in office, for example, for more than 15 to 20 years, you can almost certainly conclude that there is fraud occurring um, because generationally we as as human beings like to pick things that are new. We like to experiment with new ideas and new ways of things, right? And so the very idea that we would have 30-year, 40-year, 50-year politicians in government and finance um, and CEOs that have been installed in different positions of power and bankers and bureaucrats and, and things of this nature, that is sort of antithetical to the idea that it's a non-corrupt system. So it's being highlighted, I think, for all of us that the corruption goes all of the way down to the county that you live in all of the way down to the city that you're a part of, right? Um, mm -hmm. Captured operations with the Soros uh, district attorneys and the Soros Open Society money and all of the different uh, levers of influence that have been created through nonprofits and associations and um, nationwide groups, right? Um, so I, in, in many respects, I do believe that the 2024 election um, is likely to not go down in the way that we would 
we would traditionally believe it so. But it's sort of anybody's guess of what happens from here on out. I don't think that we're going to end up waiting until November of 2024 because the corrupt Biden DOJ optically is seeking to jail President Trump and potentially put him to death in the most rapid sense possible. And so that tells me um, that you have an enemy that is not sort of playing to a specific date. They're playing to an immediacy. They're mm. playing to a here, right here, right now. There is an existential threat to their power and control that they believe exists right now. They're not worried about it um, coming around in summer of 2024 or in spring or fall of 2024. They're doing this now. Um, so I think there's a lot that we can draw from that. Absolutely. Well, you know, you mentioned the financial aspect of things. And in my last question, I actually brought up the term black swan event. So let's talk a little bit about the financial aspect. Let's go a little bit further here. You know that the ongoing banking crisis is going to get worse. Everybody out there in the audience understands that. And we also understand that eventually we're going to get the official announcement of the QFS. But as this is all happening, undoubtedly, we are witnessing the controlled demolition of the petrodollar, specifically due to the BRICS alliance, which is continuing to expand at the same time as the debt spirals increasingly out of control and no foreign nation wants to finance it through treasury bonds, which really is the key indicator of collapse, particularly within the bond market because a vast majority of our debt for a very long time has been financed by other nation states around the world, particularly China, which only serves to complicate that relationship. And then I believe it was just yesterday the Fitch Credit Rating Agency downgraded the United States from its AAA status. And we also got word that BlackRock is being investigated for funneling people's retirement funds into financing the Chinese military industrial complex. So there's a lot going on on the economic front. And I wanted to get your take on this ongoing de-dollarization process that we're seeing play out all over the world and how it ties into the overall controlled demolition strategy of the White Hat. So how are you seeing things unfold in the financial theater of this war? You know, ironically, the financial theater, I think, is where we have the greatest amount of clarity and directionality and the least amount of specifics. Um, we can clearly tell yeah. that there is a market push for de-dollarization that is coordinated, and it's happening all around the world, and it's happening at about the, what I believe to be about the quickest pace you could get a lot of different nation states on board to come to the same, you know, to the table and come to the same conclusions. Um, Russia is taking a very, very point role in all of that. The Russian Federation um, recently with the African summit and then in the summit they've had at the economic summit in June, they had just recently, they have been pitching the idea that nations within Africa and other nations around the world should be conducting trade in a much more fair uh, way. And it sort of has to come from the Russians or some other entity that is not the United States petrodollar serpent government, because the United States has shown, and not the people of the United States, but the government of the United States has shown for the better part of half of a century that they are not willing to entertain anyone else's needs. They're not willing to entertain the idea that you as a nation may wish to have your own currency. You as a nation may wish to govern your own trade. You as a nation may wish to have your own military protection and no longer be reliant on us. And we have sort of pummeled into submission anyone and everyone who has disagreed with that, if not militarily, then economically. We're watching the Russian Federation now helping the African continent and these smaller nation states break away permanently from dependence on the U.S., um, military protection is being canceled in some regards in exchange for the protection of the Russians. 
Um, the resource and trade blocks that are coming out, not just in the BRICS nations, but also the African block of trade that is beginning to sort of take form at the governmental conversation level now, being spearheaded primarily by the Russians. It's worth noting that with the Nigerian coup that just happened a few days uh, hence, we had the people standing outside the French embassy of this nation chanting, down with the West, long live Putin. Um, and so we're, we're watching a restoration, I think, of trust, but we're also watching a restoration of individualized nation states and peoples around the world um, brought back into their own power, brought back into their own capability. The African nations are some of the richest and wealthiest nations in the world, and no one would, no one would think of it that way because of the lens that we've been presented with and the MKUltra mind control mainstream media lie that has been promulgated in the Western nations for the better part of four and a half to five decades. Um, but they're actually extremely wealthy. And if we, if we look at the meddling hands of Western influence that props up warlords and terrorist groups and um, color revolutions all across that continent and others, if we remove that, it is very likely that the African people, just like we the people everywhere, will come back into their own power and now with the information age, we all have a very clear understanding of what has truly been occurring. Uh, China doing the exact same thing in the military space. China brokering, China has been brokering deals within the Middle East, arms deals, um, sort of building out what is becoming an Arab League of Nations. Um, and I think it's extremely possible that we see this League of Nations as the primary resistant force to a deep state Mossad thrashing about of the Israeli countryside and in that area of the world before this is all over. China is talking to ancestral, um, what you would call sort of ancestral nemeses to um, that that area, to what you know, what is modern day Israel, right? Um, Egypt, for example, um, Syria, um, Iran, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, um, and the UAE recently even outlining a trading deal with India that has now left the BRICS nations and is seeking to uh, elevate the rupee to a very significant regional player. Um, excuse me. So when we look at the clear efforts that are being given by large manufacturing economic powers, large military powers, um, large agrarian-based economies, right, and, and they're making a very concerted effort to sort of coax everyone away from the slumber that they've been in for the last uh, many decades regarding the dependency on the dollar and sort of the inevitability of uh, things just stay the same – what is that producing in the Western world? Well, it's producing absolutely destructive inflation. It's producing um, an extreme weakening of the U.S. dollar in the world stage, on the world stage, optically for everyone else. No one wants it. Um, even our allies don't want the dollar. Um, That's right. When we look at NATO and their ability to militarily resist the changes that are happening with Russia, China, and soon to be other powers um, before this conflict is over, what do you need in order to resist anything militarily? You need manufacturing capability. You need economic clout. You need the ability to have vast amounts of resources refined, mined, pulled out of the world, and then put through your manufacturing to produce the desired effect. And we're witnessing what is, I believe, to be a very calculated defanging of the ability of the NATO alliance to actually do that. Um, Biden just recently going on air and saying that we're all out of ammo. 
Um, yeah. that's, that's a national security risk, right? And we could, we could delve into the discussion behind that one slip of the tongue, but I think it speaks to a greater whole, which is American manufacturing is not strong. Um, North American ability to refine resources and produce weapons of war and weapons of commerce, and I say weapons on purpose when I refer to it that way, is sort of at a historic low. This is the perfect time. Um, if you were the other party, if you were the opposed um, party to the central bankster mafia, this is the perfect time to seize upon the opportunity and really get things done. And I think that we're going to see a massive escalation of that as we watch the dollar move into what I believe to be hyperinflation. Absolutely true. And meanwhile, we've seen the steady rise and in influence of the petro yuan. We know that the UAE, <clears throat> excuse me, Saudi Arabia and Iran are now taking payments for oil and gas in yuan. And we also know that France signed a contract with the UAE to pay in yuan as well. So this pattern will undoubtedly continue, and it's going to completely undermine the basis of financing the U.S. debt. As the OPEC nations in South America, like Venezuela and Pacific Rim nations like Indonesia, follow suit in de-dollarization by adopting yuan for payment. Not only that, we know that the BRICS nations that I brought up a moment ago are preparing to roll out what looks to be something like a gold-backed token to facilitate international trade settlement, mostly on a bilateral basis to function as an end run around the US dollar. And then just today, South Africa announced that the upcoming BRICS summit will make a significant change in the world order. So as foreign nations are dumping their treasury bonds because they don't need them anymore to buy oil and gas, and they're not buying any new bonds to finance the debt because they recognize they're not worth the paper that they're printed on, the question then becomes, what will the Fed do? Will they start to print more money to monetize the debt in a sort of Zimbabwe fashion to avoid a default? I mean, or if not, you know, what do you expect the Fed is going to do in response to becoming increasingly isolated from the world economy like you just described? What, what's their next play? You know, I think we have to draw our conclusions about what the Federal Reserve System may actually respond with. with we, we have to temper those conclusions, I think, or look to some basic facts that occurred in 2020 that are very, very important. The Federal Reserve was absorbed into the U.S. Treasury in 2020, first time that that's ever occurred. So we know that the, the privacy, the ability of the, the mafia to hide their clandestine ledger books in plain sight sort of vanished when that happened. And this occurred only a number of weeks um, after the what I believe to be the launch of the devolution continuity of government plan that preserved the Republic of the United States. And I believe that plan was launched as a result or in response to the biological attack called COVID-19. Yeah, now, and they put it into the CARES Act, if I remember correctly. Correct. And so as we look at this process and where we're at now, what is the Fed doing? Well, they're just making the inflation worse at every turn. And now they're sort of pinned into a corner, I think, economically around the world where no, regardless of what happens to the U.S. dollar and regardless of how you respond, it's going to be systemically weakened. Um, the ability of the dollar to buy favor and control power and influence in the world is being rapidly eroded away right in front of our eyes. And so if you're the Fed, well, what is your next play? I don't believe the next play is to endlessly print money, although that is possible, right? Weimar Republic, we have good historical precedent to show that you can endlessly print money in a hyperinflationary standpoint. You'll only make it worse, but that is a sort of a stave off to the eventuality of the system crash. I think it's much more likely, however, with their cultivation of Fed now and this CBDC approach, um, that they just let the system come all of the way down and that they attempt to pivot 
the control to a new monetary form of exchange. And it's that's where we, the people, are really going to be important. When Q says it's a mil-civ alliance, it's exactly that. We have, as civilian population, as the civilian sector, we have a role to play. Our opinion, our mass favor, our, our overall mass awakening and understanding of the world and how we interact with one another sort of in unison at that nation-state level is going to be important. The government needs us more than we need the government. This is sort of a truism that goes back to the Jeffersonian days. Um, and that's no less true in commerce and the exchange of currency and value in economy than in anywhere else. The government cannot function if economy is not happening. The government cannot continue its hegemony, its power control, um, the trip that it's on, without the lifeblood that allows the system to operate. And so if we watch the system crash, if they allow it to crash, and I think it's possible that they will, and they attempt to provide a solution in the form of this central bank digital currency, if enough of we the people out there simply refuse to participate, refuse to play, um, if we've taken a little bit of time and preparation over these last many years and have gotten ourselves um, – I shouldn't say self-sustaining, but we'll say just a little bit better insulated to whatever system changes may be occurring out there in the world. We will have the ability to subsist for longer than the governmental entity itself without commerce. Um, if you have food and water, if you have some gas put back, if you have the ability to provide in the immediate future for your family, say two or three weeks even, um, and you do not have to participate or you're not going to participate in a, a new a hyper-controlled totalitarian economic system, if that is enough people, if that, if the, what we just described, if that represents enough of a percentage of the population, then the pushers for that CBDC-style modality of control will have to relent because they will need our cooperation. They will need our participation in some other form of commercial exchange or economy. And I think that is the moment where we may see some very large false flag events or some very large possible national emergency-style events uh, rolling out, right? An escalation of World War III, for example, um, an escalation of the overall financial crisis as it pertains to controlling law and order on the ground, the activation of Antifa, of the Antifa riot army, um, the activation of different Chinese assets that have moved. And I say Chinese to say CCP, not Chinese Patriot, but CCP assets that have been moved into our country for a long time. They're not just now coming in through the southern border. And that's sort of the irony of the discussion with the southern border. They've been flowing into our country through academia, business, commerce, finance, law, government lobbying. They've absolutely entrenched themselves and invaded us long ago. And we may look at the activation of those cells and those networks as a result of the collapse of the, of the dollar system. But I think what's important to highlight here is the Fed has nowhere to go. They can endlessly print money, in which case the inflation becomes worse and then it becomes hyper and then it becomes uh, sort of non-self-sustaining and the system crumbles under its own weight, or they can allow the de-dollarization to simply crumble it outright and roll out something that we, the people everywhere, are not going to participate in. It's a lose-lose situation. All right. Well, let's uh, round out this conversation a little bit talking about the barometers of awakening. And I wanted to highlight RFK because as time goes on, and certainly there are a lot of issues that I disagree with the man on, but as time goes on, he's becoming increasingly hardcore as he red pills the left on a variety of issues, including the evils of big pharma, the establishment media and big tech censorship, the military industrial complex, the inner workings of the deep state, particularly the three-letter agencies that killed his family members. And you know, I have to say, I was very clear when he announced his candidacy that my instinct was that he was a white hat. 
and that he was on a mission to expose the evils of the cabal to the normies. And he appears to be doing an incredible job. And of course, this to me begs the larger question about the pace, the overall pace of the Great Awakening. As all of these events are happening that we've discussed tonight, continue to intensify and rattle the cages of the general public, inducing that cognitive dissonance that breaks down the MK Ultra programming. So what are your thoughts on RFK and the overall barometers of where we stand in the Great Awakening? Give us your take on that. You know, I'm I'm like you. I personally believe that RFK is an activated asset in this conflict. I believe that RFK is what Q references when Q says patriots and trusted positions. Um, you know, RFK can speak to the never Trump crowd in a way that Trump and MAGA will never be able to uh, because right. the MK Ultra is so very, very deep and the hostility is so very, very ingrained. Um, when you have individuals who sort of bounce from trauma to trauma to trauma in their life mentally, and in some cases kinetically and physically, but certainly mentally with the mainstream media, um, and you associate such um, vitriol and ill repute and hatefulness towards a particular candidate, you're not going to easily, if ever, come off of those predispositions and those opinions. But you may come to a different opinion if someone that does not have those associations is now your microphone that you're listening to. Mm -hmm. um, the RFK presidential campaign website, this the server, I forget the actual website. I think it's RFK for president. But the the website that he's using to host his campaign, those servers and domains were purchased in 2016, seven years ago. Oh, and so I think that we're looking at this activation of a much larger, um, much more longitudinal play. And you're exactly right. Um, he is demolishing the idea that big pharma is out to protect people he's demolishing the idea that the mainstream media is not the unpaid um essentially lapdog of big pharma or excuse me the paid lapdog of big pharma um and the censorship complex is sort of on display and has been on display for a while and now he's driving it home even in a much larger way we have an active presidential candidate for the united states of america that is being deplatformed by youtube because he doesn't agree with vaccines or he's being deplatformed by facebook because he doesn't agree with the idea that we should fight endless wars um, and other centrist journalists, not just Tucker Carlson, but many others have come out wanting to speak to the man, have spoken to the man. And those individuals are also very good microphones for that radical left group. Right. If you're trying to drive home the mass awakening, the mass awakening has to transcend political divide. It has to transcend the understanding of uh, this party or that party or this right. or that. It has to focus in on what is true and what is right and what is just. Um RFK is uniquely positioned, I think, as a Kennedy to come out and talk about the CIA, for example. He's uniquely positioned as a well-loved, intellectual, respected Democrat uh, representative in the Congress, right? One of their, uh, if, you're a if you're on the radical left Democrat side, this is someone that you would, uh, prior to the current days, maybe would have had some amount of esteem for or some amount of admiration for because he is very willing to go up there on Capitol Hill in the public eye. And protect and espouse the more, um, we'll say, socially progressive points of view. But he is also willing to say there's a hard line at what is right and what is wrong. There's a hard line at what is dangerous for our country and what is healthy competition. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy doing the exact same thing now, again, appealing to a different component of the conservative base. You've got a lot of independents out there who are conservative Americans, and they think MAGA is this cult. 
um, because of what has been accomplished in the narrative space with this enemy of the people mainstream media over the last seven years and really beyond that, you know, going back even to the George Bush days. And so we have all of these different candidates that are coming up alongside in the race that are being shown out to suffer the same problems as President Trump. In other words, it's not just Trump. It's not just the orange man. It's not just some evil um, um, dictatorial grab by the former president of the United States. What he has been talking about with the deplatforming, the silencing of opposition views, the silencing of opinions that they don't think that you should have, um, this is not to just President Trump in any form, right? This is this is systemic and existential, I think, for all of us. And I think it helps to highlight also that if they're going to take down RFK Jr., who's a very moderate, uh, sort of socially, classically liberal candidate for having an opinion on vaccines that may also reflect the opinion of a diehard MAGA Republican, well, perhaps there's some truth in what's being deplatformed here. And so you break the MKUltra dream spell and you get these individuals to start looking at what is factually occurring. Absolutely. Well, SG, this has been another great conversation. I want to respect your time. We tried to keep this under an hour, so I'm going to cut it here. I hope to have you back on in the near future. I know you're a very busy guy, but uh, I really do appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thank you, my friend, and I really appreciate your patience with it. I know we've been trying to get this together now for a number of days. Um, and we should do another broadcast, I think, to expound on some of these topics in the near future because they're going to be very important. Um, going through this, these weeks and months that are ahead, you know, with South Africa saying that a change in the world order is coming this month and Q traditionally telling us that August is a hot month. Um, what occurs in that space is going to affect us, right? The expansion of hostilities from Russia, the inauguration of public hostilities from China. Um, these events are absolutely in our near future. And I think that having a clear lens of um, what sort of irregular conflict is really being fought here in the world, I really think it's going to be necessary for patriot sanity going forward. But we've got this. We were chosen for this moment. We were chosen for such a time as this. And the fact that we can have these conversations right here, right now, and not be black bagged and drug out of our homes tells me that there is absolutely something changing in the overall world power structure. It's an exciting time to be alive. Amen to that, brother. Well, thank you so much once again, SG. I'll be in contact with you very soon to set up that follow-up discussion. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. God bless and Godspeed. I'll be back soon. Patriot out.